So, all right. Hey, I'm gonna have. I'm gonna turn it over to Curtis. His wife Teresa is gonna just touch base with the kids in the back uh, for a few moments. And uh, so, Curtis, come and uh, share with us. And he's uh, from Lexington, uh, Nebraska. Uh, that's where home has been here at least recently. So, I'll turn it over to you. It's uh, wonderful to be here with you. I have a video, quick video I'd like to play if we're ready. Yep. Pray with us. As devastating as the war in Ukraine is, it is a gospel moment for Ukraine, Russia, and the refugees scattering into Europe. God is at work. He is not surprised. So we declare that this crisis is a gospel opportunity. We pray for our missionary workers. Some have left Ukraine to minister on the borders. Others have stayed in country to express solidarity with the national church. We affirm both choices and pray for Holy Spirit guidance. We pray for Christians on both sides of this conflict. The Russian Pentecostal Church was greatly influenced by the Ukrainian revival in the 1920s. And even today, many leaders in the Russian church are ethnic Ukrainians. Let's stand with the church more than we make political statements. We serve with a combination of love, truth, and power in our mission activity. We love by meeting the physical need. We bring truth by sharing the gospel as laid out in scriptures. And we walk in power by praying for healing, miracles, deliverance, and the acts of intervention that only God can do. Men and women, young and old, from across our nation and the world have Ukraine and Russia in their hearts and minds every day. We are praying and believing that this will lead to hundreds of missionaries to be called to work in these countries and among these peoples. We pray for peace. We pray for the good news to be preached. We pray for gospel resources to be provided. We pray for strength among our pastors and people, and we pray for divine intervention in Ukraine and Russia. Can we do that right now? Father God, we just... Uh, we, we lift up the nation of Ukraine to you right now. And God, it's easy for us to look and to see impossible situations. It's easy for us to find things to be discouraged about and, and things that look hopeless all around the world, God. There's no shortage of these. And it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to look away. But God, I pray that you would help us to not look away, but to do what we can. And God, right now, we pray that you would bring an end to this war. God, we pray that you would protect those who are being touched, God, whose lives are in danger and in peril. And God, would you please draw people unto you? I pray right now that there would be those who are looking for answers that would find a church in Ukraine, that would find a church in Russia and begin to give you control of their lives. Father God, we pray for everyone that's trying to make a positive uh, difference for the gospel in this region, Lord. Would you help their efforts to be multiplied and to be fruitful? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. It is, a, it is a wonderful honor to be here. Thank you so much, Pastor. I appreciate it greatly. Um, I'm Curtis Hubble. My wife, Teresa and Colton, as you know, are back in Children's Church. And we are newly appointed missionaries to the nation of Ukraine. And as you just were reminded, that part of the world is in great turmoil right now. In fact, nobody knows what ministry is going to look like in the future in Ukraine. Nobody really knows what that's going to be like. Uh, the one thing that I do know is that God has called my family and, and I to be a part of that plan, whatever it is. As the video said, God's not confused. God is not up in heaven right now wringing his hands and wondering what he can possibly do uh, in Ukraine now that there's a war. And there's, there's no confusion uh, on his part whatsoever. As soon as we get our, our funds raised, we are ready to go to wherever, whatever door God opens. If that's back to Ukraine, I'm going to go to Ukraine. If that's to a neighboring nation that is housing Ukrainian refugees, we're going to a, a neighboring nation. But whatever the case is, uh, we are going. The, the unique thing, and this is, this is something that Nebraska, I don't know, maybe you won't be proud of this or not, but we are going to be the only new missionaries that are appointed to the nation of Ukraine during this time of war. So Nebraska is the only place in the United States that is sending a missionary to Ukraine right now. Ukraine has had a very long and difficult history. War and genocide are almost the norm over there. It's happened numerous times uh, in this century. It wasn't that long ago that Ukraine was under the rule of the former Soviet Union. Christians were under severe persecution just for being Christians. There was a pastor that uh, started a church that we partnered with in Ukraine about five years ago. But his, his name was Sasha Ozaruga. And he was a Pentecostal pastor, and he was imprisoned during the reign of the Soviet Union just for being a pastor. He was forced into hard labor with inadequate clothing. Many men of God died because of what was done to them in Siberia. When his usefulness had been exhausted uh, by his captors, the last thing that he and several other pastors were ordered to do was to dig their own grave. Then they lined him up. Uh, on the edge of this pit that they had just dug, and they, they put a firing squad in front of them. And these men were facing their, their executioners. And the man who was going to give the order to fire, he told them, he said, turn around. See, they wanted to shoot him in the back. He said, turn around, and they wouldn't do it. He told them again, he said, turn around, and they stood firm. And finally, this man looked at the men holding the rifles, and he pointed up. And they, they fired those rifles into the air. And then he went to those pastors who had almost no clothing on at this point in the Siberian, in the Arctic winter. And he went to those pastors and he told them, run. And they headed out on foot. And there was no way that they should have made it any more than, than maybe just a few kilometers. But with God's help, they made it out alive. And when the former Soviet Union uh, fell, there was, there was, Pastor Ozaruga was given a piece of, uh, of, of unproductive farm ground, kind of as a recompense. And they told him, here, now start your church. And so under the hope of freedom, 
They were, they were going to start a church. And one of his parishioners told me this. He said, all that we had was dust. They had a dream of a church, but he said, all we had was dust. And then they said they put together all that they could scrape together. He said, finally, we were able to buy some gravel. And then again, they saved and saved and saved. And then they were able to uh, buy, buy a few bricks. Then they said, then the Americans came and we had a church. That church, I have a picture of it on my table. I'd love for you to come and see it. The congregation is standing up front. That church that was built by Arlington Assembly of God about 30 years ago has transformed that village and that part of Ukraine. When I, went to, uh, when, I, when I went there to that village where the church is, I thought, boy, life in Ukraine is pretty good. I thought, it's, it's, not, it's not all that bad. I'm a, I'm a kind of small town guy, and this was kind of a farm town that this was in. But then I would go just, just a few miles away, and it would be completely different. Life would be different. There, there would be a, almost like a, a, a depression that was just there. And I thought, what's the difference? And finally, it was Ukrainians that helped me realize what the difference was. Because they would ask me, they would say, where are you staying? And I would tell them. And they wouldn't, maybe, it would, the, 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 the church is located in Motovilovka. Not a big metro area. So not everybody knew where it was, but I would start explaining where it was. And then they would say, oh, where that church is. I said, yeah, where that church is. That church made a difference. That church made a difference in that community. And that church that was planted by uh, an American church here, that church has now planted about 10 other churches in other villages where they are making a difference. I believe that there's a great day coming in Ukraine. I think that not long from now, there will be a great harvest that is ripe and ready to be brought in. It's been estimated that the casualties on both sides of this war are somewhere around 200,000. Let that sink in just a little bit. Estimated deaths are as high as 70,000. This is on both sides. Think about that. There is a generation that is learning a new definition of hopelessness. There are orphans and widows who are becoming victims of a very deadly force. This is something I believe the real death toll in Ukraine is going to start after the war, not before. Because bitterness and unforgiveness is starting to take root in hearts right now. And there will be people who will crawl out of the holes that they've been hiding in uh, to survive the war, but to lose their lives. Their vitality will be sucked away from them while they are here on this earth. And then when they stand before God, even though they were victims here on earth, when they stand before God, if we do not forgive others, God does not forgive us, and they will face eternal separation from Him. I was confused about my job in Ukraine. It wasn't very long. This past summer, we went to Moldova to work with Ukrainian refugees. And I just got to tell you, that one... I was scratching my head on that one. I thought, great, now I got to go to another country. Moldova's right next to Ukraine. Two and a half million people in Moldova. 500,000 Ukrainian refugees have come into that country since the war. 
So I was, I was, but I was a little bit confused. I said, why do they need, why do they need a Nebraskan to go to Moldova to talk to, for people that are war refugees? I thought they can't pass out water. I, di- I didn't know what we would be doing. And that's when God really revealed something to me. You see, I have something to give that a secular government can never give. I have something to give that, that a, a, a relief organization that is just founded on good human principles cannot give. I have the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what I have to give, and that's what I'm there for. I do other things. While I was in Moldova, this was really shocked me. I brought in a bunch of hay from a field in Moldova. I thought, well, I know how to do this. Good, I, I have this skill set, but it's not what I thought I would be doing, but it was something that had to be done. So, here I was. I do whatever is needed. I try to be an asset and a blessing wherever I go so I can give away what is of eternal value, and that's the hope in Jesus Christ. That's letting people know the power, the power that comes from forgiveness. I'm sure some, I'm sure some, I'm sure all of you, you've had to struggle to forgive before. I mean, you just can't live that long until you're faced with the fact that you have to forgive something at some point. And it is so difficult. But what an incredible blessing and power that comes in our life when we obey God's word and forgive. We're very excited to go uh, to Ukraine and let people know that God has another plan. And I believe that in the very near future, it will be said in, in many, many villages, all we had was dust, ashes, and destruction. Then the Americans came, and we had a church. We are willing to go, but we need your help. I'll just tell you that right now. First, we need your prayers. I have on that table a little, little card. You're familiar with them. There's a whole bunch of them from other missionaries in here. I know this church understands the pattern. I'm asking you to take, to take one of our cards and put it somewhere where you see it once in a while. And just pray for us. Pray that God will help us. We've been missionaries a long time. Yes, we started as motorcycle missionaries here in the United States. We've been missionaries a long time. And I know what it's like to be at the end of my rope and realize that I am being sustained and held up by someone else's prayers. Over and over again, people have called me and they'll say, I don't know what's going on in your life. I I love Facebook now. I really do. Because there are times that I put put something up on Facebook. I just say, hey, we need some prayer. And almost immediately, I'll feel my phone start vibrating or dinging or whatever it does when it tells me something's happening on Facebook. And I'll look and I'll see over and over again, I'll see people who are are clicking on that and they're commenting on that. And they're saying, we're praying for you. What can we do? We're asking God to intervene for you. I know what it's like to be sustained and carried by someone else's prayers. So please, take that card, put it somewhere where you remember to pray for us and pray for Ukraine. Secondly, we need financial partnership. We are very, very close to reaching uh, the support that we need to be able to depart. You know what close means? Absolutely nothing. Close means we cannot go. Close is not good enough. we got to make it over that threshold. We would love for you to come alongside of us, and we, want, we would love to be one of the missionaries that you partner with. 
And the final thing we need is you. It could be that God will put it on your heart to make an, uh, make an impact in Ukraine. There's going to be a lot of work to do, and I can't wait to get there where I can host people from the United States who will come and help do what God has called them to do. Maybe it's somewhere else. Whatever it is, if you, if you feel a, a tug or you're even curious, just, just ask us some questions and we can help you, uh, we can help you get along uh, down that path. About four or five, uh, about five years ago, I could pretty much tell you what my year would look like. We were, we were, we'd been motorcycle missionaries for over two decades. I knew exactly what I should be doing about this time of year. I knew what calls I should have made. I knew almost everything. I knew the events that were coming up where we were going to continue or maybe try to try to break in, whatever. I could just kind of tell you what was going on. And then all of that started to change. Uh, I am not from Nebraska. I'm conflicted here with the, the whole Super Bowl thing. I just got to tell you, I'm, I'm a little conflicted because... Quite frankly, neither, neither, I don't feel like I don't have a dog in the fight. In fact, I have become a big fan of the USFL. I don't know, some of you might not even know this exists, but I, I am a, I am from Colorado. I am a diehard Denver Bronco fan, okay? So, I moved to Nebraska, I became a Husker fan. Well, any of you that know anything about I mean, you know, the Husker, it's just been rough to be a Denver Bronco fan or a Husker fan. Okay, so when I found out about the USFL, I made a decision. I said, I'm going to pick it. I'm going to root for whoever is the best USFL team. And I am going to finally be able to really have some gusto when when I uh, when I root for a team. I just picked the uh, Birmingham Stallions. Probably not too hard to figure out why. They sort of had a logo that looked like another team I like. And they won. They won. I mean, it's a, it was the, the playoffs or, or the big championship game. I was in Moldova, and I told – I was able to tell – I was at youth camp, and I was able to tell everybody that my football team won. They got all excited. They didn't even know I was a soccer fan. <laughs> I had to tell them, no, 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 American football. And then I told them it was the Birmingham Stallions, and then I realized that there's a Birmingham, England. So it got really, really confusing there for a little bit. But I could have told you what was going on. Then God God brought me to Nebraska, and uh, everything started to change. And I never understood why God brought me to Nebraska. Not because, and I do, I love this state now. I really do. I feel like my... My parents or my, my great-great-grandparents, they just stopped in, at the wrong spot when we ended up in Colorado. I really, I really do love Nebraska. But I didn't know why God sent me here until I met my, that Ukrainian pastor, that church that I told you about. You see, we were going there to start motorcycle ministry. And uh, he was, when I was talking about doing that, and it, it was successful, by the way. We have a great chapter of honor-bound motorcycle missionary, a ministry international in Ukraine. Those guys right now, one of my members sent me a picture of a plate that's getting ready to be put on an airplane that's going to go into combat, and there is an honor-bound sticker 
on that, on that uh, piece of metal that's going to be on that combat plane. I had mixed emotions about that, but I, <laughs> I, was, I, was pr- I was happy. I was proud of that. But I met this pastor from uh, Ukraine, and he asked me, he said, he said, where are you from? I said, Nebraska. And that didn't, didn't raise his eyebrows at all. And then I realized I'm not from Nebraska. It's where I live now. I'm not from there. So I told him that. And he said, where are you from then? I said, I'm from Colorado. And his eyes bugged out of his head. And he looked at me and he said, never say that again. I thought, wow, he really likes the Chiefs. Nobody got that. You did. A little bit. But I said, why? And then one of the last real pieces of propaganda that uh, the Soviet Union that's left over in Ukraine is they said that the evil, this evil place called Colorado in the evil United States invented an insect called the Colorado potato beetle. And we unleashed it on the Soviet Union to bring famine and hardship. So there's only one state that you can say you are from that will actually build a wall for a Ukrainian and make them look at you like maybe you're not trustworthy, and that's the state of Colorado. So God moved me to Nebraska because he was sending me to Ukraine before I ever even knew where Ukraine was. See, that's the way that God works. He has a plan for our lives, and it doesn't always fit in with what our plan is. The book of Proverbs uh, teaches us that there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, that leads to death. And we always think that that must be talking about people who are not Christians or people who have rejected the gospel or people who do not believe in God. It's easy for us to think of a drug addict and say, that's the way they think is, is life, but that is death. But I want you to know something. There's a decision that each and every one of us has to make on an ongoing basis. And that is, that is going to be whether or not we are going to actually follow God. It looks different for each and every one of us. Uh, the, the decisions we have to make, the requirements that God has for you may not be the same as he has for me. I'm not talking about things that are clear in scripture. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments being like a multiple choice thing. But I'm saying that our lives take different paths. I want to read a passage of scripture. I'm going to, I'm going to pick up the pace here. Um, Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read through this uh, chapter of scriptures quite a bit here. But what I want you to do is I just want you to kind of pay attention to the cast of characters. These are all people that had some interaction with Jesus Christ. And I want you to look at the different reactions, all right? Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or people may riot. Now we have a change of setting here, all right? Verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. 
Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear of this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So here we have this chunk of scripture, and there's just a lot going on. And the the first ones we meet, just by the way the chapter was divided, which that's not necessarily inspired or anything it's just where they thought there's a good place to start mark chapter 14 but we meet these religious leaders and uh i believe that these people what they were called to do is to help the people navigate the law and find their way to peace with god i'm in a bible reading plan that's kind of going through scripture chronologically we're getting into leviticus And we start to get the the taste of what it was going to be like under the law. What religion was going to feel like. What what requirements were going to have to be done. And it's it's a very meticulous thing. And over and over again, as you're reading through... Uh, the, the Old Testament law, what you'll do is you'll find out that there were ways for people. And they say, now, if this person does this, they are cut off from the people. You're out. Sometimes a mistake seems so trivial, but you're out. And these, these priests, these, these religious leaders, what their duty was, what God had called them to do, was to help the people understand how to have peace with God. That's it. It seems to me that these would have been the people that were the first to realize that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They should have been the ones that thought, you know what, we've been reading and we've been studying about this man who would come and and he would make a, a new way to God. And they should have been checking off the boxes. He fulfilled this prophecy and this prophecy and this prophecy. But instead, you hear what it said their Their conclusion was what they decided they must do with this man, with the Son of God, with God incarnate, these men who are supposed to be so close to God, what did they decide to do? We have to kill him. You see, they were called to help the people navigate the law to find peace with God. That was their calling. But instead, they did what they were allowed to do. And they were allowed to make the law such a cumbersome thing around people's necks that they could, they could barely stand up under it. And they would, they would make it so hard, and, and they enriched themselves by it. The next kind of person that we meet is almost a footnote. It just says that they were, 
at, a, at, a, at the home of Simon the leper. He doesn't really play a part in this other than they were in his home. And I, at first when I read that, I thought, yeah, you know, it's just, they, you just need to know. You know. So why was Simon, what, what's noted here is that he was the leper. When I read that, I thought, well, maybe that was just his nickname. My name's Simon, but my friends call me the leper. No. You would never do that. Never. In fact, if you were known as a leper, what it meant is you were an absolute outcast. No one could come close to you, not even your family. So when Simon discovered that he had leprosy, he had to go to these religious leaders and he had to show himself to them. He had to, he had to show them his entire body and they would observe from afar where the leprosy was. And then they would let him know, you are now not welcome anywhere. The interesting thing about this is that Maybe a better notation of who he was would have been Simon, the former leper. Because Jesus and his disciples could have never been in there celebrating the festival if he was still a leper. And I believe this, and a lot of scholars do as well, that this guy probably was no longer a leper because he met Jesus Christ. And when he went and showed himself to Jesus Christ, where the priest told them, you have no hope and you must live as an outcast, Jesus Christ told him, you are now clean. Now go show yourself to the, to the priest and you are, you are restored. But here they are, reclining at the table. They're eating. And we meet the next person. We meet Mary, who we know is the sister of Martha and Lazarus in the Gospel of John. This is, this is a person who Jesus Christ raised her brother from the dead. And she comes in and disregards all the traditions. She disregards everything and walks over to Jesus and does something that I don't fully understand. I really don't. She has this vessel of perfume. She breaks it and dumps it on his head. And Jesus thought this was a good thing, and she thought this was a good thing. I'm probably, maybe I'm an outsider here, but I don't think it's a good thing. If any of you ladies are tempted to take your most precious bottle of perfume and break it and dump it on my head, I'm going to ask you to not to. I don't understand the full symbolism that's here. But this is one thing that I, I do think I understand. I don't think Mary did this. Because she had 10 or 12 vessels of pure, pure nard perfume in the closet. And she thought, I need to kind of get rid of these anyway. I think that that probably represented her, her stability in her life. It was different then. Men and women, did, they did, there were different roles and different opportunities and for a woman to take something that was worth a year's wages that belonged to her and to, to break that and pour it on Jesus' head, that was, I believe that was the most precious thing that she had. And that's what she wanted to give to Jesus. You have to say, why? Because she had accepted him as her Lord and Savior. 
That's why. She had fully understood who he was and what he was going to do. The disciples who had spent all that time with him and that were gathered around the table, they didn't understand everything about Jesus. And when they saw what she did, they criticized her. And they said, why in the world did she waste that? And I like that they brought in the thing. We could have sold that and given it to the poor. But it seems to me, this is just my silly thinking, that there might have been more at play. We do that a lot of times. We get, I'm going to say almost spiritually envious. Somebody else. It seems like they always, they always get the good stuff. They always, why is it so easy for them? And I'm struggling over here. And I think that being a disciple was a rough job. They had to sleep outside. They had to do manual labor. They had to work hard. There wasn't any big money. And I think when they saw her bringing in that vessel of nard, they thought, man, this is it. This is it. That's a year's wages. We're going to be able to cash that in. And for once, we're staying at the Holiday Inn Express instead of sleeping in the weeds. I don't know. They were critical of her. But Jesus wasn't. He wasn't. He said, she's done a good thing for me. This is going to be preached about everywhere around the world, what she has done. Why? Because she held nothing back. That's what I believe has happened here. She held nothing back. And finally, we get to Judas. And this is a, it's a big moment for him. He makes a big decision here. I don't know if any of you have been watching The Chosen. Does anybody watch that show? You know about that show, right? Okay. It's fun to watch. I know the first time they introduced Judas, man, I was like, hey, 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 got to watch him. Got to watch him. Hey, nip in the bud now. Don't let him in. No, Jesus, don't. Just tell him to go home. I don't think that's the way it worked. I think that even the actor they got to play Judas, I think he looks a little sneaky. I do. I don't think that's the way it was. Judas received the same call that all the other 11 did. Same, same invitation. Same opportunity. And he made a choice. He chose to abandon his call and instead do what he was going to be allowed to do, which was to betray Jesus Christ for a little bit of money. But he had the same opportunity. Had he made a different, and and I know know some people are going to take take me to task on this. Well, God knew. I know all that, that stuff. But I don't think that's how Jesus was doing this at, at this at this point. I think he really believed in Judas. In fact, it could be if Judas had followed his call, that much of the maybe much of the New Testament would have been written by him instead of the Apostle Paul. I I don't know how it works, but I do know this: he traded the precious call of God for what he could do instead. And he ended up ending his own life. So I have a question for you. Are you going to do what God has called you to do? Or are you just going to do what you're allowed to do? Because it's a big gray area. 
really is. And here's, here's the thing about it. The only one that knows if you're actually doing what you're called to do is you and God. I can't know it. I'm going to tell you this. It would have been a lot easier for me to keep doing motorcycle ministry in the U.S. It would have been a lot easier. We'd already raised our funds. We'd been doing it a long time. I told you I could almost do it with my eyes closed. I didn't even hardly have to think about it anymore. The doors had already been opened. The roads had already been paid. The, the fields had been plowed. All of that stuff. It would have been easier for me just to keep doing that. I wouldn't have to wake up every morning and study a language that I still can barely speak. Ukrainian is a very difficult language. I could have skipped it all. In fact, I could have maybe... I could have maybe spent more time hugging my grandchildren. But here's a problem. I would have known. I would have known. And I would either have to learn to live with that or I would have to eventually surrender. There's only one thing that I really want my children to know about me. This is like the, the whole goal of my life is I just want them to know that I said yes. And no matter what it was, whatever God told me, I said yes. I'm not perfect, I'll tell you that right now. I, have, I can't say I, I always do it right. And it used to scare me to death, especially when I was younger. God would ask me to do something that I really thought was going to upend my life. And it used to scare me to death. It doesn't anymore. It doesn't. Because he always has proven himself faithful to me. And I know when a missionary's up here talking about calling, that maybe it gets elevated like it's somewhere way up here. But I just want you to know that all of us have a calling that God is calling us to. And sometimes it's just so simple. It's so simple. I have met... I've met a lot of people. In fact, I've hardly ever met a real Christian that will say, oh, if I had to choose between my faith and my life, it's my life I would choose. They almost always said, no way, I would die. I would die. Yes, I would die. What I found is it's really easy to say yes to what's not being required. Really easy. Those same people that say, I would die. I would die for my faith. What about when your pastor's up here saying, you know, we need a little bit more help in the in the youth or the Sunday school or nursery. Nursery. Let's go nursery. We need nursery workers. Oh. Will you do what you're being called to do? Men? God has given us a role and a job to do as men. It's your calling. Are you willing to do what you're called to do? Or just slide by with what you're allowed to do? Only God knows your heart. Ladies, same for you. Same for you. God has a plan for all of us. Will you do what you're called to do or just what you're allowed to do? I want to close in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for this wonderful group of people. God, help us 
Help us, Lord. Help us. God, it's not as easy as it used to be to be a Christian in America. God, it seems like we're just being attacked on every side. But God, help us to stand firm. God, I thank you for this mighty army, this church that you've put in this community. Father, will you help us to be the people that you have called us to be? Will you help us to do what it is that you've called us to do, no matter what the cost? Father, help us, help us, Lord, to not consider our lives as something very valuable to it. But they're yours, God. They're yours. Help us to help us to live our lives well. Help us, God. I thank you that you always forgive us. I thank you that you always have a fresh start for us. Now, God, help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Help us to do what you've called us to do. God, you never call us to do easy things. You call us to do things that are going to keep us in prayer and and things that are going to keep us knowing how desperately we need you. So, God, we just ask that you would help us today to be your people. And, God, I pray for anybody here right now. Maybe Maybe they've held back. They know they've thought about... They've thought about going all the way with you, but for some reason, they're hesitant. God, would you just show them how much love, how much peace, how much joy is there waiting for them, that there is no condemnation, there's only forgiveness, reconciliation, and new starts. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name.